Hello, I'm Laura Furiosi, divorced mother of three, and I'm here with my mother, Lynette Galvin, with 35 years' experience in family law. You're listening to the Divorce Course Podcast. Through our candid discussions, we hope to help you through your divorce or de facto separation. We will be answering the most commonly asked questions and covering the stages and steps that you will face on your way to freedom. Today's episode is all about figuring out what the future needs are and whether it's going to affect your percentage of the property pool. Welcome, Mum. Hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Now, that sounds like a bit of a confusing mouthful. And we have done episodes on contributions before, and that's who contributed, what money you before you got married, and what you've contributed after separation. But one of the other things that people mm. look at is... It is how you're going to go in the future. Essentially, what the, the court does, remember, they work out what the property pool is. Then they have a look at your contributions, and we've done a, a podcast on that. And then they ask, the court asks itself, judge asks herself. Or himself. Or himself. Is, if I divide this property pool between these two parties based solely on their contributions, like, you know, it might be 50-50, mm-hmm. how are they going to be moving forward? having regard to these factors we're going to talk to, which are future needs. And if the court sees there's a need to do something to sort of get the party's futures reasonably level, Mm -hmm. they will give an extra 5, 10, 2%, 20%, whatever, having regard to these factors on top of the contribution percentage. So you'll have a situation where maybe everyone contributed 50-50 during the marriage, so so the court says, okay, but she's got a much higher income than he has, or so so I should give him an extra 10% or 20% because of the difference in income or you know, okay. all these well, other gonna, factors. So we're going to yep. go into all of these so, reasons. And that's something that we get a lot of people writing in and they say, but it's so unfair, I can't work, I'm not well enough to work, mm. or I'm going to have the kids full-time so I can't work full-time, but he's or she's got this really amazing job, business, X, Y, Z. So really, does it come down to, when you say future needs, Mm. it's talking roughly, does it encompass mainly health issues, ability to make money? Yep. It's kind of that. It's kind of that. So so there are a number of factors and they're set out in section 75.2. Okay. Or section 90S. F3. So let's let's go through them one by one. Okay. And you can, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can go and look at these themselves. Okay. You, obviously, a family lawyer would be aware of this anyway. Oh, of course. And you could go and talk to your lawyer about this. But yep. if you're going through your divorce and the lawyers don't ever mention it or don't ever ask you about these things, mm. you could miss out. So yep. it's important to listen and, and see if any of these attribute to you. I think that's right. I yep. think that's right. Because sometimes uh, the lawyers may not ask the right question. And if you don't know it's relevant, then it can just completely be missed. Okay. So let's have a look at these factors. And then, Mum, before we look at these factors, mm. do you have to have really good proof? We'll talk about how to do for each one. Or- yeah, I guess some things are easy to prove, but yes, you have to prove it. The court's just not going to say, oh, well, we might give her an extra 20% because she says she's ill. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're going to have to do proof as yeah. well. All right. So the age and state of health of each party. So, yeah. so that's the top one. So what does that mean? So is it what if you're younger or older? What like what? How does if, that play into it? Usually, if you're older, you've got less working life ahead of you, and it might not make much difference if one of you is forty and one of you is forty-five. But it really makes a difference if one of you is forty-five and one of you is sixty. Right. So the older you are, in comparison to the other person, the more likely you are to get a loading or extra percentages points for that 
age gap and your therefore limited ability going forward to make more money. Right. right? Okay, so that and is considered. That is considered. And then the state of health, if you're sick, you get more, basically. Oh, so if <laughs> but if sick. you're both sick, it probably won't make much difference. So it is really a comparison between your future mm-hmm. and your ex's future. So I know we've talked about this a lot and we get this question a lot from mm. our members in the Q&A. What about if they are post-traumatic stress disorder or they've got some sort of mental health issue because of the the world that they've just come out of in their divorce, does yes. that get considered or is it health as in physical inabilities with like missing a leg or something? Well, it's it, the health is considered insofar as it affects your ability to support yourself going right. forward. Right. So if you've got post-traumatic stress disorder, then you need some evidence of that um, from a psychologist or mm-hmm. a psych- I think it's got to be properly diagnosed and then you explain to the court how that impacts on your ability to work okay. and make money going forward or you you may have an ongoing health condition of a different kind that requires you to have surgery every couple of years and you have to have nursing and all of this mm-hmm. and if you're not eligible for the NDIS the court may give you a greater percentage for that disability. Okay. And this, of course, is all Australian-based. Yes, and it's general only because uh, even as I said it with the NDIS, Mm. do you know if you're over 65, you can't get NDIS? I didn't know that. Yeah. National Disability Insurance Scheme, by the way. And that's always going to be changing. I think they're reviewing it now. Okay. So let's go to the next one. Any disparity of income, earning capacity, property, and financial resource. What does that mean? Okay. Let's go to the first one. Okay. Any disparity of income. Sorry. Disparity Disparity. means lack of evenness, so the difference between... So if someone's a doctor and the other person's a cleaner? Yes, or even if both public servants but one makes $100,000 a year more than the other, Mm -hmm. that may result in an extra loading being given to the person with the lower income. Their percentage will go up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Earning capacity? And again, that's because some people... Ha- can work, but they just don't work. Yes. So if if your doctor mm. with the 400000 if she decides she's not going to work because what's the point if I've just got to pay child support and pay my ex, uh, the court will look at their capacity to work rather than their actual earning. Okay. Um, and child support looks at that too, doesn't they do. it? Doesn't they do. They do, yes. So if you've got a, an ex who's going to quit their job so that their income is it's, even to yours, that might not work That's exactly in the right. end because of these 72 Section 752 A. Yes, and 90. 90 SF3 for de facto. SF3, very Okay, all right. So They're the same, by the way. property and financial resources are also mentioned there. Yes. So So, what does that mean? So sometimes people have property that they can't sell, that can't be like – it's sort of part of the property pool, uh, but they're not going to part with it because of the orders. So they've got that there. It's either – it's either something they can't sell or it's something they got in the breakup. So, for instance, if you get several million dollars out of your property settlement mm-hmm. on contributions, mm-hmm. the court won't give you any more usually because, for future needs because they say that's enough. You don't need to earn it. You don't need any more money to support you. You've got enough money to okay. have a house and buy some shares. Financial resources. Yes. But I should mention that. So a lot of times people have a trust, sometimes a trust that's run by their parents or family, Mm -hmm. and they can't get the trust money that's owing to them because it may be a discretionary trust. Yes. But everybody in the whole system knows and their family knows that 
every year or two, they get this distribution and they'll get an extra twenty, thirty, hundred thousand dollars from the trust. So it's not actually assets that they can divide. And chances are, if it's a family trust, while they're going through court proceedings, those payments tend to dry up anyway. But the court will say, look, we know that. That's, this person gets that money. They've got this financial resource, so and we're not going, going to adjust it. We're not. We may adjust it for the person who doesn't have that resource. Okay. They may give them more. Now, the next one is an interesting one: whether a party has the care of a child. So, does the custody of the children in the divorce mm. does that affect potentially the the property outcome? Oh yes. Does that? Oh yes. Right. Yes, and okay. and I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh oh. You can edit it out if you need to, Laura. (laughs) There seems to be evidence that the Australian Institute of Family Law Studies have identified, I think it's the AIFS, the rise in in parties seeking 50-50 care of the children is partly triggered by financial wishes and financial issues rather than what's best interest of the children. So if you've got the kids 50-50, there'll be no adjustment to either party mm. for having the children 50-50. If you have the children 100% of the time... You should get a bigger percentage of the property right. pool. If so you have them 70% of the time, you should have a, a property pool so there's, increase. So there's a lever that people can use mm. for the wrong reasons mm. so that they can lower what mm. property the other party gets. Well, also, they're making sure they get a bit more property and pay less. So mm. let's put it this way. It is a financial disadvantage to a person if they're only having the children for a few days, a mm. fortnight or so forth. But then it makes sense to adjust it because children, are as lovely as they are and dear, <laughs> beautiful, lovely souls, they're expensive. They are. And so it's, it's hard. It's to... not just uniforms and books no, either. No. They use electricity. They use the Wi-Fi. They not that water. I'm complaining. Lots and lots and lots and lots of water. <laughs> they eat a lot. Yes. yes. So Okay, so yeah, they adjust so... it for that. Okay, and we've got to note we could talk about that particular topic for a very long time mm. about that, but we won't. We just want to get through this okay. so people understand. Yep. So each party's commitments enabling self-support or the support of a child. That's just having More a kids. look. More and, and maybe what are your medical expenses going forward? What are you stuck with that you will have to pay? Okay. Going now, another factor, either party's responsibility to support another person. Mm. Now, not stepkids right. and not your new wife mm-hmm. or husband. Mm-hmm. It's another adult. Now, generally what comes in there is perhaps a disabled person who's over the age of 18 yet nevertheless needs to stay at home. Right, okay. Or elderly parents? Not really. Okay. Not really. Okay. Uh, It's it's really the kids that are over 18. Okay. Mm. The other next one is subject to three, which I don't know what that means, which requires such eligibility to be disregarded in the maintenance proceeding, a party's eligibility for a pension allowance or benefit. Yeah. What does that mean? If that's, you've got to read that with the one down below. So there are there are pensions which are income tested means means tested pensions that you get in Australia, mm-hmm. right? So you might get uh, something from Fair. Services Australia, like it might be Family Payment A, Family Payment B, or there might be some other payment. disability payment. Okay, so so that's the exception. I'm not talking about them. Yeah, I'm talking about at this one. The court's talking about is the ones that are from overseas or if they've bought an annuity and there's money coming in and it's not income tested, it's not a Commonwealth pension, okay? It just keeps flowing in. Okay, so if they've got that, they consider that. Yeah, the court says, well, 
you know, this person's got this money coming in for the rest of their life. We need to make an adjustment in favour of the other person to remedy it. Mm. Okay. Now, this next one, that they can adjust the property pool based on this, and this is this is a big call, a reasonable standard of living. Who decides what a reasonable standard of living is and what does that mean? So what do you mean okay. you split up, you go your separate ways? Mm. How do you make sure that you have a reasonable standard there of living? There are cases at the yin-yang okay. of it. Okay. So a reasonable standard of living in all the circumstances, I think it says, which gives the judge a very broad scope. Yeah. So if you are like us, yes. <laughs> just normal, normal, normal people, people yeah, without like millions, mm. and we live in a normal house with, you know, maybe an ensuite bathroom, kitchen, just a normal four-bedroom house, go out to the RSL once a week or something. That's a standard of living that's quite modest, mm-hmm. and you would be arguing that that standard of living could should keep going on, and the court would by that argument. Yeah. But if you are the partner of someone who lives a, a really yep, luxurious life, mm-hmm. yep, and the property that you get uh, is not enough really for you to live even though you'd, you'd expect a person that's been married to that person for a long time to have a higher expectation of their life. Yes. So they're going to want a pool. They're going to want to at least keep the Range Rover. Fly uh, to yes. Paris every week. Yep. And the thing is with those very wealthy people, uh, sometimes their money is tied up in trusts and, and offshore and everything. So remembering that this person, our person we're talking about who's being turfed out, couldn't really be expected to just move in with the kids to a suburban home, Mm. Um, you know, that's a big shock. So the court may give them extra to give them a higher standard of living. It doesn't have to be the same as before Mm. they separated and it is falling out of favour a little bit. Is it? Mm. Because most women are working now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting, these Section 75 two-factors, they do double duty Okay, they're part of the property pool sorting out, but they're also the exact same factors that the court looks at if they're going to pay some. If you're asking for a maintenance payment or or uh, alimony from a person, right. it's the same factors. And we've done two episodes on are you eligible for spousal maintenance and how to apply, so you yep. can go listen to those episodes. So these is the factors same are factors. the same, absolutely okay. the same. And so that's why uh, in Australia you would see the perhaps a, a quite a high payment per month. Okay. Yeah. All right, so that's comforting if you're listening and you mm. have a standard of living, you may very well continue to have that moving forward, yep. which yep. is good. Okay, what about... Any scope for increasing earning capacity by paying, retaining or reestablishment costs. What does that even mean? Say that part of your property pool was a, a house with other other houses on the block. Oh, so you had like so an you Airbnb. So you could rent them out. Yep. Say some of the houses, if there's a big lot of uh, real estate, some of them may be empty or some of them you'll be able to rent out because they're investment properties and that will help you. I've even heard of, this was a while ago, of a judge who thought that the husband's submission that the wife could take in Airbnb guests Mm. or rent a room to a student was a reasonable submission. It's not acceptable. If you've got a house, say you get a house worth a million dollars, right? And you say, I still can't live on this. The court will go, well, you don't need, probably don't need a million dollar house. You could downsize it. So re-establish yourself in something or rent that million dollar house out and make money. So they're just 
looking at what you can do with what you've got. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In adjusting the percentage of the property pool, one of the factors is effect of proposed order on creditors' ability to, to recover debt. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> they won't let people make orders that will um, stop someone getting repaid. So the court will look at that and will they look at, I don't know, if they're going to cut your finances down, can you afford to pay your bills, right. basically? Ah, so if you've got debt yeah, and you've got to take on that debt through your divorce and mm. we've got an episode called D- Divorce and Debt, they're going to make sure the property pool usually, p- usually yeah. Accounts for that so that you can pay the debt. Yes, that's right. Okay, well, that's Or the fact that you are going to be paying that debt, that weighs in your favour. Yep. Okay, so another factor is the applicant's contribution to the other party's income, earning capacity, property, financial resources. This is a big one. Is it? Mm, Yeah. What does it mean? (laughs) It it means that uh, if one person throughout the relationship has gained fresh qualifications and and I, the typical one I see is doctors. They did their study. They did all their study. While they were together. While they were together and the other person's been doing basically the heavy lifting. Yeah. And then they, they get through the end of their studies and then they, they leave. call the marriage off. Yes. Right. And then they're on the doctor's salary or the whatever it is, the, the uh, commander's salary in the Navy or whatever, and you've contributed to that. Yes. You've supported them through it. So do so you, that gets get an, you get an more, adjustment? More yep. of the property pool. Yes. It'd be like, for good that. for you for helping support them the way through yeah. there. But, ah. Yeah, because you've done the work, you've made an extra contribution and their future should have been partly yours. Yes. It's a bit of an old-fashioned way of looking at it. Yes. But if two people are working on a, a joint enterprise um, and you, you both expect to benefit equally, even yeah. though your roles were slightly different. Okay. Mm. All right. What about the extent to which duration of marriage has affected the yep. applicant's earning capacity? Yes. So that doesn't come up as much anymore. But if you've been married to a person in the military, for instance, for 20 years, uh, it's often the non-military person can't get established in a career because they're constantly moving, the kids are moving. They take on the load of looking after the kids when the you're deployed overseas or whatever, and you'll often find at the end of a marriage like that, one party has really climbed up in the ranks, the other party has no super Mm. or hardly any super, their skills are out of date, 20 years, like I was a teacher 20 years ago, I don't know if I can still do that, I'll have to retrain, Mm. I'll have to retrain to be a nurse, whatever. So the court will look at that as well. When you give that evidence, guys, find out exactly what course you need to do, find out exactly how long it takes, how much it costs. To upskill. To upskill. So you can work again. Yep. And then you can quantify that and say, I'm going to need this much extra so I can get myself working So it's again. going to take me three years to finish my degree. I'm going to need this much extra to get yep, through it. that's right. And it'll cost, I'll have to pay childcare, whatever, whatever. It's also often comes up when working out a spousal maintenance claim for a mm. person because the court expects all of us now to earn if we can. Mm. But if you need to retrain or re-upskill, uh, the court is really open to that happening and okay. making allowance for that. All right, this one... I'm scared of, the need to protect a party's wishing to continue their role as a parent. Don't you really just, you don't really have a choice to continue your role as a parent. What does that mean? You're invited to our free webinar. Whether you're stuck at the beginning of deciding to divorce or you're struggling to find your way through the legal jargon and fear of the unknown of the legal process, we are here to empower you to take control. 
Join us to learn what steps you can take, followed by a live Q&A, where you get Lynn, my amazing mum, and family law accredited specialist to answer your questions. All you have to do is go to www.thedivorcecourse.com.au and click on Reserve My Seat Chat. We'll see you there. Hurry, spaces are limited, so don't miss out. Register today. All right, this one I'm scared of. The need to protect a party's wishing to continue their role as a parent. Don't you really just, you don't really have a choice to continue your role as a parent. What does that mean? It used, I, I don't think it, it gets used anymore, but, okay. but we used to use it. The court would say, look, uh, it's usually in those days, it was the mother staying yeah. home, caring for the child. I don't want to have to work. I want to stay home. Yeah. Uh, it often comes up if you've got children with neurodivergent or yeah. disabilities um, and I want to remain home and be that stable person for them. Therefore, I need extra money from the property pool because I'm not going to be able to work. So the court is... Uh, somewhat less sympathetic to that role. Right. And it depends on the age of the kids. Like if they're little toddlers, you know, or three or four under five or something, then of course that's a better option. But okay. if the kids are 16 and 17, it's a bit, you know, they're at school all day. So I know you say the court's not keen on it, but isn't this the Family Law Act? Yes. So why can the court decide not to be keen it, on the act? Well, of course, the judge's role is to interpret the legislation. Right. And over over time, because more and more women are working full-time, there's the rise in daycare, mm-hmm. uh, before and after school care, and the general expectation that the parties will share equally working. And, and I think uh, I can say since you were a baby that there's definitely an increase in the role in the fathers contributing yes. to care of children as well. So that sort of being out of balance doesn't come up as much okay. anymore. The next one is the financial circumstances of any cohabitation with another person. So we get this a lot. We get people ringing up saying, I'm sorry, messaging us saying, my partner has just moved in with a, a millionaire. They're living with a millionaire, mm. but I still have to give half of this. Or yeah. what, what is that what that means? <clears throat> or is that different? It, that's what it means. They just the court has a look at it, but it really seldom applies in property settlement. Wow. In fact, I can't think of a situation where it would apply in property so settlement. So it's only spousal maintenance. It's really for maintenance. Okay. You know, if you're in a de facto relationship or remarried to a person who's very well off, yeah. uh, then the court may think, look, you'll manage, you don't need any more spousal maintenance from us. And mostly spousal maintenance is only paid until a new relationship or to either a marriage Normally a marriage, you'd have to go to court and argue that there was a de facto relationship to stop the maintenance payments going out to them. Okay. This seems like a bit of a just a catch-all clause, the terms of any other proposed property order. Uh, No, it's not a catch-all. We use that a lot. Okay. So if someone's going to be getting perhaps a money-making asset or, uh, like I said, if they're getting the bulk of the assets or they're getting stuff that they can, like if they're getting the business, they'll be able to keep working in their business, that sort of stuff. So they'll have a look at that. Usually one of you keeps the business and the other one has to kind of start again. So they get an adjustment. If the other person keeps the business, there could be an adjustment in the property pool? Yep, towards the person who isn't keeping the business or... If the business is pretty crook and it's got problems and there's going to be tax debts and that, there might be an adjustment back. Okay. Mm. The terms of any proposed order under Part 5111ABS. (laughs) Part 8. Yeah, let's not worry about that. Okay. (laughs) Go and see a lawyer for that. It's Roman numerals. Um, Any child support paid or to be paid in the future for a child of the parties. How does this play into the property pool? Uh, it, It plays into the capacity 
of the parent who hasn't got the kids who's paying the child support to pay that much child support, you know. So it, what, if they're not paying child support, if, they, if they're in arrears or mm. they, they only pay it every now and then just before court? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've all heard so that So they can adjust the property pool. To give you more. Because, because they're going to be not paying, paying the butt. Or they're not, yeah, they're not paying. Wow. And so a lot of people, they don't pay child support, don't pay child support. And when it gets to trial, it's actually one of the factors uh, under 60cc, the current law of 60cc that the court looks at, um, are they that to the extent to which they've taken the opportunity to cover some of the costs of their child? Mm. So yes. So bottom line with this is, if you're not getting any super or then uh, any maintenance. Child support. child support. Oops, sorry. If you're not getting any child support, if they don't look like working anytime soon or they're, they're going to be difficult about the payments, as I said before, past behaviour is the best indicator for going forward and the court might well say, and I have seen it, well, his chances or her chances of getting child support are almost nil looking at that, so we'll give her an extra lift or him an extra lift up in the payment, in the property. Does that then mean... That they're not allowed to still try and get child support? Uh, no, they still should they can pay still child try, support. But, yep. they, but it's yep. probably unlikely to happen. Yes. All right. Now, this maybe is the catch-all clause. Any circumstance which the justice of the case requires uh, yes. to be taken into account. So that's every player Every player wins a prize. So any other thing they haven't <laughs> thought of. Yep. They, that, well, any other thing the government didn't think of to put in there, but in the justice of the case, the judge wants to do. Now, what we skimmed over, Laura, mm was that difference between a pension, the income-tested pension in Australia um, or a pension coming in from overseas. So the pensions or income coming in from overseas, that is taken into account and they go, well, you know, this person's going to get that money for the rest of their life. But if you are getting or they are getting Centrelink benefits or Services Australia payments, the court ignores that. They That the court says this really, you don't want the taxpayer having to pay this person when her spouse or his spouse has money mm. and there's property somewhere. So because both the court and Services Australia obviously are Commonwealth bodies, the, same uh, first, the court yeah. is required, and this law has always been in there, the court is required to ignore the fact that you get a pension and treat it as if you do not get one. Okay. Mm. All right. And then lastly, any financial agreements between the parties and any binding financial agreements between the parties. Mm. So so that's like if you separated and you had a financial agreement, then... Yeah. So let's say it. Um, this is really relevant now for spousal maintenance. Okay. So let's say you've got a property settlement. You didn't go down the consent orders route. You didn't have a litigation fight. You did it in an agreement, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't address child support. Uh, sorry, it doesn't address spousal maintenance. So in that case, the court will have a look at what you got under that financial agreement and see if you need it need spousal maintenance, which would be periodic spousal maintenance or maybe a lump sum. Okay. But you've already done your property pool. Right. So looking at all of those things, it seems quite straightforward. And, <laughs> and you know, well, no, it's like <laughs> you've got who's got the kids the most, you know, mm-hmm. who's got more income, who's got a bigger wage, who's, you know, who can't work. It's kind of, I guess, it's practical. Yep. But how realistic is it? So here it is. Uh, it's, I'll give you a little example. Okay. So let's just say when you look at all those factors and one person might get like three to five percent for each factor, say it wouldn't take long before nobody one side had nothing and the other side had yeah. everything. Yeah. So what the court does is they they don't start off as equal. 
balancing, but they do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they, having looked at all the contributions like we talked about. So say they get to the end of their contribution calculations and they've got the property pool contributions 80% to person one and 20% to person two, right? And then they go through this exercise and they go, well, Obviously, person two's got the kids, a much more will give her an uplift of 10%. Or person one doesn't earn as much as person two, so we'll have to give person one a bit more. And so the the 20% that you gave to, say, the mother goes down again by 10% because the father hasn't got the same job to work on. So it's right. it's up on and off, on and off. You know, you, you just adjust up and down for each relevant factor and not every factor comes into play. Well, but what I mean is, is it, yes, I see that the rules are there, mm. but how often do people agree and go, yes, you, you, you do need to have more money because of mm. this factor? Or do you have to kind of present your case and say, this is why? Or is it just a given they go, yeah? I, I always, I guess it's Pollyanna effect, but I always think if two good family lawyers look at a set of circumstances, even if they're acting for different sides, mm-hmm. they'll both come up with pretty well the same answer within a range of about 5 to 10%. Okay. And judges like their their orders, there's always a range of between 5 and 10%. It's not an exact science. Yeah. So it's doing the best they can, looking into the future and balancing up and that I way. And I guess the best thing for you, the listener, is to know that they're not going to be able to give your best percentage forward unless you provide that information. Mm. So listening to this today, yep. you know, if there's anything in there that maybe hasn't been mentioned yet, yep. Go and dig up some proof and go and tell your lawyer or include it in the mediation. Yep. Is, there, is there ever a time where they just dismiss it all and none of it's taken into account? It would only be where the parties of the same age, same, same health, having the kids 50% of the time, got the same property split and have the same income. Right. I think like it's really that. What and if there's most pressure? Lawyers- what if there's pressure on the other side just going, just settle, forget about all that stuff? Just settle. Yeah, I think when you go into mediation, like I, I think I said, you take your best bright shiny case in there, but you know in a witness box that something could come unstuck. Your ex might sound very plausible and tell a big fat fib and you can't prove it. Or you think what you think is important, the judge might say, well, I'm not really interested in that component. Mm. So the every single one of those factors could come into play but not every one of them does. So if if you get your, if I get a case from a client and the other side's got a case, they know what they think it is, I know what I think it is, uh, we refer to sections of the Act, but the interpretation of those sections is in the cases. Okay. So if a person, say, has minded another person's kids during the relationship, stepchildren live full-time with them, for instance, then Rob's case, R-O-B-B-S case, says that that person should get an uplift in their contribution because it wasn't their responsibility to look after the kids. You know, they're not their children. Mm. Uh, so Rob, so so when you write to the other lawyers, you mention these cases, you mention the relevant section, basically you say, this is what my client's worth, uh, this is what my client should get, and here's why we think that, mm. right? case law section of the Act um, apply it to a fact. And then they might write back and say, well, yes, however, there's this, my client renovated your mother's house for no for nothing. So it's the lawyers sort of parry it back and forwards until you, hopefully there's consensus. Mm. And each of us is saying to our clients, well, they've got a point. 
you know, maybe we should just call it quits, settle it this and move on. And most matters do. Do you find that there are people who make stuff up <laughs> so that they can get a larger percentage of the property pool? Yep. You do? I do. And and how do people defend themselves against made-up stuff? Proof, Proof. is in the pudding. So an example mm-hmm. is I had a letter from someone in New South Wales, lawyer there first, saying that their client had all of these properties and it did look impressive. And I looked at my lady and I thought, you know, why didn't you tell me about all those properties? You know, that's a massive initial contribution. And she goes, there was no equity in them. So I look it up. I go into my SciTech, have a look, and the amount of equity in one of the properties was $7,000 and another property was $23,000. But it looked like, you know, but when you looked at the debt, there wasn't actually that much property. Right. So so, you've got to dig down the hmm. devil's in the detail? Yeah. Well, uh, his lawyer hadn't done that research, so just took on face value what was told to them. Hmm. So I had to send the evidence and say, look, in fact, my client made a greater contribution because she had a massive super. So when it comes to these tweaking of percentages, Mm. so you've figured out the property pool, you've then figured out the contributions before, during and after, you then go to these factors, these future needs, and Mm. you tweak it for that. Mm. Does anyone, like if it's tweaking it by 1% or 2% and you have to go to trial to fight for that extra 2%, is it worth it sometimes, well, if, knowing if, that this is general education and you should yes. always see your own lawyer to get individual legal advice? But yep. d- do you find that's a catch? Well, I check it, see. You look at how much the property pool is overall. Mm-hmm. So a 10% of a $2 million property pool is $200,000. That is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might not be worth going to court because you'll for sure spend fifty, sixty thousand going to court, and so will the other side. So both of you have an incentive to sort of split the difference, yeah, and make it fair. But if, and even more so, if the property pool's only say five hundred thousand, every ten percent is fifty thousand. So while someone might stick on their digs, I want fifty, 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 fifty all the way home. You're only really, you know, what ten percent of that is fifty thousand mm. dollars. And, and that's, that's how much you'll spend in fees. At least that. And you'll probably get to court and you might not get the answer you want. Mm. And it's going to be a year down the track. So there are lots of times where you have to sort of look at the real effect of these percentages. Now, can I ask, if you do your property first, hmm. but one of the factors is who has the kids the most hmm. and you've got a custody issue yeah. as well, what happens there? Do they wait till they know who's going to have the kids when or do they not? Sometimes they do, yeah, and sometimes they don't. Right. Uh, it a lot of people want to do the children first because that's the most important thing, and it does inform uh, uh, the court as to, uh, when they're looking at property settlement as to one of those factors who's got the care of the children. Mm. Uh, so, if it's if it's going to make a big difference, you probably um, don't finalise the children or finalise the children first before you do the property. But if you've got well, let's say a hundred thousand dollar pool, right? Every ten percent is ten thousand. Every twenty percent is twenty thousand dollars. You're not sure who's going to end up with the kids, but you'd probably only get an adjustment of twenty thousand dollars anyway. Mm. So you might just, you know, call it quits. Mm. So technically, to to do it properly, you should know where the children's matters are at, and you should know what you're going to be having. Right. But reality-wise, people file both together and they often will settle children before they settle the property um, unless, you know, there is a real uh, feeling 
that the property settlement they would get otherwise if the, if the kids aren't taken into account isn't going to be fair. Mm. So, yeah. But good. Well, I'll make a lawyer out of you. Oh, well, no, I just think that that could, you know, the, mm. the thing is, though, property would be easier to agree on in some ways than kids because there's more passion and love for kids than there is for money. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. I don't get as stressed with property settlements mm. as I do with children's matters because mm. you're really, it's a, it's a real heart thing, isn't well, it? Well, you can make more money eventually, some way. You can always make more money yep. in some capacity. Yes. You've only got the kids that you've got. That's right. And They're that's the most it. precious thing. So, look, Mum, thank you for this. This was a bit of a dry episode, but <laughs> I do think that just talking through these little mm. factors can maybe help some people feel a little bit better mm. about their property settlement because I don't think these get talked about enough. And no. I, I don't think lawyers talk about them enough. We, I think we glibly say future needs factors 10% extra for the wife because she's got a lower income, she's got the kids, she's, you know, whatever, not well. And they don't look at what that 10% actually means in dollars sometimes. Mm. And they should go back to the property pool and go, okay, 10% is $50,000. I'm going to give her, I'm asking the court to give her an extra $50,000, even though she's got the kids nearly all the time. She can't work, she's not well, you know. That's not going to help as much. No, so they have to, so... I, I agree with you that they aren't often raised mm-hmm. and most of us remember off by heart the age and state of health of the parties, whether they've got a child on the age of 18, commitment to support anyone else. But not and the rest of it. Yeah, there's. I think I can rattle off about seven mm. and I always remember the bottom one, which is any every Anything else. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the others are a lot more obscure. Most lawyers immediately understand that the fact that you're getting a pension means you actually have no money when it comes to looking at this yes, stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's all good education. Yeah. And they are going to change the law slightly, I think, mm. uh, but it won't be till 2025. And these principles, I think, will stay the same. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's 2023. If anyone yes. is listening right now, so uh, and I, I wish everybody the best in their yeah. property settlement, and it's horrible. It feels like you're dissecting your life, and you've got to look into the future. And in a way, you don't want to say, oh, "I kind of feels hurtful to yourself." It's like writing the opposite of a resume. Yes, I, I can't work, or I, I I can't do this, or I've got these issues. So I can see how hard this would be for people. So if you are going through this, we our heart goes out to you, and we're here for you. And Mum, thank you for going through a very boring section of the Family Law Act with oh, us. Sorry. And if yes. anyone wants to find them, they can search up. Uh, section 75.2 for for, divorce, uh, for married people and section 90 SF3 for de facto. For, and they're the same. Okay. <laughs> they're the same. All right. Take care, everybody. All the best, Thank everyone. You. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, we'd love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. By doing so, you are spreading the word to help someone else just like you. Lynn would like to remind you that this podcast is general advice only and you should always get legal advice in relation to your particular situation. And remember that the Australian laws may have changed since recording.